be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. Correction! Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, and it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, She's a woman! And for the people who love them. Every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today, Caitlin. Now, Caitlin, we are at the end of a very long day. We are enjoying the Friends reunion episode. That's right. But best of all, we just took our first journey across the United States for a gig in over a year and a half. How does it feel? It feels great. It felt so refreshing to uh, just like see different scenery. Oh, absolutely! Than, like the same streets that we've been used to, right? You know, and it felt good to feel like we were employed again. And yeah, like 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 we have a purpose, you know, instead of just like sinking into a depression, wondering if we do anything at all. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> and it's just like. I have all these things that I do in my regular schedule where I like read the newspaper or I write in my diary and I love all of that. But it was also wonderful to not have any time for it at all because we had so much on our plates. We were doing a little commercial, which everyone will see on our Instagram. We were doing a little commercial. We were hanging out with Monet Exchange and just living our lives. Yeah, it felt really nice. It was kind of, it was just like, um... Seeing Monet kind of was exciting and being on a plane and sort of challenging my brain if I remembered how to fly. Yeah. Was nice. Gave me a little like brain activity. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, wait. I do know how to do this. I know how to make it through the airport in like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Because I'm an expert, you know? But I had to be reminded of that because it's been a year and a half since I've really been in any airport. So congratulations to us. But congratulations to the world for opening up a little bit. And here's hoping that everyone gets to do the things that they enjoy once more and we begin to see the world be a better place. That's right. Anyway, now that we've discussed that, as always, I want to dive into our serious groundbreaking interview. But first, I have a little treat for you. Every week, we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. Or, excuse me, I didn't say the I accent know, this time. Whoa, that's, Whoa. How you, that's how you know it's been a long day. Exactly. <laughs> I'll say it again. Torn from the headlines. <laughs> the idea is that these stories will bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about our mascot animal, the giraffe. <laughs> I feel like we've talked about giraffes several times on this podcast. And I don't think it's a mistake, you know? <laughs> we like them. We like giraffes. We've had like four stories about giraffes one way or another. But at this point, honestly, I think that that is a great reason to keep going instead yeah, of yeah. stopping, you know? 
So we have a giraffe pattern. You know, this is our giraffe spot, if you will. (laughs) It's called branding. It's called branding. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So here's the news. This comes from the Happy Broadcast on Instagram. According to a recent study, giraffes have incredibly stressful lives. Not unlike you and me, you know? Uh, between poaching and habitat loss. But there's one thing that alleviates that stress a little, and that's lady friendship, okay? Researchers have spent a decade studying the Maasai giraffe in Tanzania, the largest subspecies of giraffe and the tallest land animal on Earth. And they have discovered that female giraffes in Tanzania live longer if they spend time with large groups of females according to the study from the University of Zurich in Switzerland. Apparently, sociability has a bigger impact on their survival rate than access to food, human presence, and other factors, because when they are together, females are able to share information about the best food sources and cooperate in caring for their calves. So, ladies supporting ladies, that's essentially what the story is about. Exactly, and I feel like that rings true in, you know, like humans too. Female friendships are very important. Yeah, it takes a village to raise a child, and usually that's a network of ladies working together to support each other because of, you know, the patriarchy. It yep. often ends up that way. <laughs> um, so I think that it, this is an amazing story. I mean, we have this idea that lady friendships are human-based only, but they have a, a mirror in nature. Yeah. So anyway, there seems to be more to all of this than just food and resource sharing, though. It looks like... Friendship among female giraffes provides emotional support as well, including protecting each other from, and this is from the story, not from me, protecting each other from constant harassment from male giraffes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, we're laughing because we know as humans too well, you know what I mean? Harassment from male humans. Right. It's like, I imagine giraffes getting together for a ladies night out at the bars. They're like, if we hang out together, then we can protect each other from the dudes at the bar. And, you know. And it really just adds to the, you know, the thing that it's like, it's not just human. It's like, all species need some female friends to (laughs) deal with the overbearing males. Anyway, I love this uh, story because it does, as we're saying, provide such a unique window into the emotional world of the animal kingdom and reminds us that we're not so different animals and humans. And the more we acknowledge this, the more likely we are to protect creatures like giraffes from cruelty and harm. It's called widening your circle of empathy when you can look... At other things besides humans or besides even your own race. Look outside of your race, look outside of your species, look outside even into the plant kingdom and have more empathy for living things. And we need that. And, you know, I think trees are our friends, too. That's true. And they are living things. (laughs) They are living things. it counts. And they talk to each other, too. And they have have friendships, too. So, um, but we'll get to that in another episode (laughs) when I I go, like, deep into my um, obsession with tree friendship. (laughs) Anyway, that is our good news for this week. But now it's time to take a little break. Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. We love them. We cannot stress it enough. I'm so emotional thinking about how much I love reviews and how much we have been looking for them lately. Uh. Uh. 
We love them so much. We're going to read some of our favorite reviews at the end of the show. So write in and you will have a chance to have your review read right here on the She's a Woman podcast. But meow, Caitlin. Yes. It is time for us to dive into our little interview. And our interview subject today comes from you. So how did you discover our subject today, Edgar's mission, um, and our guest, Pam? Well, to be honest, I was just having like a podcast research day. Mm -hmm. And I think I just looked up... (laughs) Like animal rescuers. Oh, wow. Woman or something. Yes. Because I was like just thinking of like sort of the topics and sort of people we wanted to cover and learn more about. And obviously, anyone that listens knows we are an animal loving oh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I looked that up and found Pam and Edgar's mission and sort of looked at their website and looked at their Instagram. And I was like, this is great. This is good stuff. And that like um and then I also I saw that she followed a couple of drag queens. Yeah. So I was like, I think I think this would be a really good fit for us. And I just want to say follow the Edgar's Mission Instagram because you will not regret it. Yeah. If you're having a day where you feel down, um, first of all, look into the mirror and say she's a woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, look at that Instagram. It, it is, is full of happy sheep bouncing around, baby sheep. Yep. And giant happy pigs. Yep. And all sorts of farm animals. And it's just so cute. And you know that they there's a whole team there just treating them so well and it's just like the most purest happiest content on the on the web i feel exactly (laughs) and that's what makes it such a good fit for this podcast yeah especially right now so caitlin without further ado let's dive in (laughs) so everybody i am happy to introduce a lifelong animal lover pam ahern who cut her teeth on cat and dog rescue and became a champion equestrian However, everything changed when a tiny piglet, the eminent Edgar Allan Pig, trotted into her life in 2003 and led her down a path she'd never imagined. She gave up her full-time paying job, hung up her riding boots, and dedicated her life to the protection of farmed animals. With Edgar firmly at its heart, Pam built the sanctuary from the ground up and set in motion outreach programs that would bring farmed animals out of the dark unknown and into public view. Pam is also the proud Australian ambassador for World Animal Day and was a 2014 Victorian local hero finalist in the Australian of the Year Awards. So, Pam Ahern, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a bit chilly here in Lansfield, but uh, we're battling on. I'm a little bit jealous of you because it's very steamy here in New York and it smells like trash. So I would (laughs) gladly trade places with you. (laughs) So I just wanted to know, what are you doing right now? How is life treating you? We have just gone into lockdown here in Victoria due to COVID. And what has it been like for uh, Edgar's mission going through all of these lockdowns, I imagine that it's changed a lot of the ways that you operate and you've had to 
make a lot of changes. It certainly has. Our, our world has certainly changed, but our compassion has not. So we're still here championing the cause of animals, caring for the ones we can and advocating for the ones that we cannot. We've had to find other innovative ways around doing that. All our tours this weekend had to be cancelled at a snap notice. And when COVID first happened, when lockdown, that was quite an extended period. This time it's hopefully only for seven days. So it's impacted our volunteers being able to come. We're still bad to have our staff work here. As far as um, our staff um, being impacted by COVID in themselves, everyone's pretty happy and healthy, but I guess that's because we're powered by plants. It does, uh, it does help us mentally and physically too to cope with the world. I'm going to make one adjustment. I just had to switch my microphone from my AirPods to this microphone here. So what I want to ask next is... One of my favorite parts of this podcast is being able to hear the stories of incredible women from the very beginning. And I understand that you are a lifelong animal lover. So I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about yourself growing up and what made you uh, an animal lover from the beginning. Uh, I think it was always uh, a bit a bit of destiny. And I truly think that, you know, Throughout all of humanity, there is that fascination of animals and the natural world. But sadly, for so many of us, we have become desensitized and disconnected with that. But in my upbringing, um, I was very much um, encouraged to to care about animals through through my mother. She she loved cats and dogs, and and my dad had uh, a great sense of justice, and he was uh, involved in the the law. And I think that melting pot actually made me uh, who I am today. We had two cats, Blackie and Tiny, and a goofy love labrador named laddie and i would spend hours in the backyard with my with my dog laddie and he was just used to follow me around everywhere occasionally he mistook me for a tree but that's okay when you when you're three years old you don't, you don't worry about that mother would um would rescue cats and cats and uh, that um fostered this this caring nature in me and as i as i grew up you know we became foster carers for cats and dogs and we would try and find homes for them and then I would care about our native animals and be involved with wildlife people and, and, and caring for them and getting them back on their feet but I always felt there was something something tugging at me that there was there was something more um, to do and I was always looking at ways to to help animals and how we could create a, a kinder world for them. And I was also a very religious family growing up and doing the right thing was very much ingrained in us and I remember seeing a little ad in a newspaper for a list you could get. It was cosmetics that weren't tested on animals. And I thought, well, that's um, a, a no-brainer. You know, if I can get um, cosmetics that, you know, do one job and cosmetics do the exact same job, but one's tested on animals and one is not tested on animals, I'm going to vote for the one that's not tested on animals and purchase those. And every now and again the, the list would come out, it would be updated as, you know, companies change their policies and would, would be overtaken and, one time the list came out and had an ad in there for an anti-fur rally. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, fur's, fur's really cruel. We, we don't need to clothe ourselves with fur. We've got so many other things we can clothe ourselves with. So uh, I rang up about the anti-fur rally and it was my conversation with the lady on the other end of the phone that really cemented, I think, uh, the style of uh, advocacy that Eggers Mission has. And I was talking about, you know, I'd like to come along to the anti-fur rally because I thought, was cruel but um I still ate animals and the lady on the end of the phone now she could have been mean to me and belittle me and said look you know meat is murder you know you can't come along to the rally you know how silly of you to think you could do that but she said 
I want you to, um, you can still come along to the rally, but I want you to think about what's on your plate and how it gets there. Will you do that for me? I said, oh, yes, yes, yes. So I, I took that on. She encouraged me to develop my own sets of values. I was listening at the rally to all these conversations that were going on around me. And this book kept coming up all the time, Animal Liberation. And I was curious um, because it had the word animal, but it had also the word liberation. And my dad, um, who was very old school, warned me about the liberation, so the communists, the wackos, the hippies, you know, they take over the world, everything will be terrible. But it had the word animal in it, so I was hooked. And it didn't take me very far into the book where the author Peter Singer was talking about a time when he was in England with some mutual friends and he was taken to the local chapter of the RSPCA because I thought the two groups of people would, would get on well together. And they're getting on well together, talking about how they could better the world for animals. And it came time for afternoon tea and they served ham sandwiches. And Peter Singer thought, oh. well, that's odd. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's got a point. Here was I caring for animals, telling people to you know care about animals, expecting people to take me seriously when I was eating animals. And that was when I became a vegan overnight. I wasn't a very good vegan because I ran into someone down the track and they said the word is actually vegan, Pam. It's not vegan. That's how isolated I was. This was over 30 years ago. So, And, and the only non-dairy milk you could get was this powder stuff. You mix it up with water. It tasted absolutely disgusting. But I knew what dairy meant to mother cows and I knew that that mother cow loved her baby so much more than, than I loved dairy. And I couldn't go back on that. So I persevered with this disgusting, disgusting milk. Uh, my mum and I raced out and bought tofu because that was what good vegans ate. We didn't eat it. Probably we ate it raw. We didn't even know how to cook the damn stuff. But but now, you know, there's so many non-dairy milks you can get and, and um, you know, everyone knows how to cook tofu these days. And it, it's created a whole new love affair with food because I do I do love food that, that doesn't involve animal suffering. So that was sort of my really trajectory to to get where I am. That was a long yeah. answer. <laughs> I mean, that was a great answer. I have a really good vision of your life. So you had all of these influences from when you were very young and from the world when you got out into it. And I kind of want to know where Edgar Allan Pig comes in because Edgar Edgar's mission is based so much on your encounter with Edgar Allan Pig. And I was wondering if you could tell me how you met him and how he affected your life. Um, I don't know if people can hear this coming through my voice, but as soon as you said his name, I started to smile. I, I cannot tell you how much um, I, I love that pig. So many people have had special animals in their life who they love and adore. If you can times that by a zillion, put it on steroids, you're coming somewhere near uh, how much I came to love and adore Edgar. Um, I was living at the time in the country because I was um, had become an equestrian by then and I was working with Animals Australia, which is the peak animal protection group in Australia at the time, on a campaign they um, had just started called the Save Babe campaign and it was a wonderful campaign that highlighted our flawed animal protection laws because I think most people like me grew up thinking well our society cares deeply about, about animals it's not just animal lovers we've enshrined it in legislation in Australia it's called the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act it's a piece of legislation that says what we can and can't do to animals now we don't have the prevention of cruelty to telephones or books or microphones or scissors but we have it for animals because our society has acknowledged that these animals can suffer. But what most people don't realise is that when it comes to the suffering of these animals, that we have been guilty of playing favourites, that we don't treat animals on their ability to suffer. We treat animals on the way that they look, uh, the shape that they come in, um, our familiarity with them and the intended use we have of them. Nothing 
to do with that animal's ability to experience the world. And we have these things called codes of practice that allow that to happen. In the absence of these things called codes of practice, what we are doing to farmed animals would be illegal. And the public don't know about it. And one of the things I think makes um, our country and your country is so great is that the laws in our countries reflect public thought. They don't drive it. So that means that we have the ability to change uh, our laws where new ways of thinking come along, better ways of thinking come along, you know, new science comes along, and even kinder ways of thinking come along. We can change our laws to reflect this. In 2003, the code of practice in Australia was being reviewed. There was a code of practice in Victoria was being reviewed. So this was for pig farming. This was an enormous opportunity for the public to have input into this piece of legislation. But they weren't even aware of it. And we were looking, how can we create awareness for a not-for-profit group? Animals Australia way back then was nowhere near the influent organisation they are today. And, and the universe delivered. James Cromwell, who played Farmer Hoggett in the hit movie Baby, so readily recognised for his association with pigs, was in Australia at the time. And we were able to get in touch with James. He could not do enough to help us. He turned out to be one of the most incredible human beings. He does a lot of um, work, as you would know, in the States, you know, champion on human rights causes as well, which just goes to show that caring for animals and caring for humans is not mutually exclusive. So we um, had interest from one of the major newspapers in Australia. They wanted to do a photo of James and a pig. So our task was then to get a pig for the photo shoot. And I approached one of the children's farms in Melbourne for this um, photo shoot and they said, well, we could do it, but they were going to charge us $150. And I have a bit of a problem with children's farms anyway because I think they, they send poor messages to children, this proliferation of baby animals, but then what happens to the baby animals? Um, we know what happens to the baby animals if you look at the menu of these places. So I didn't really want to give them $150. I had a place in the country. I had a place in my heart for a little pig. So off I trotted and then a little back of a pub outside of Melbourne, the deal was struck and Edgar Allan Pig and my lives came together. Now, Edgar wasn't so convinced to start with that I was wonderful, but I, I thought he was just the most wonderful being. I was so excited. I can't tell you how excited I was the day that I came home um, to tell my, I was with my mum and my partner at the time that, that I got this, this pig. My mum was pretty stoked, my partner not so. Um, but that was how, how the journey the journey began with, with Edgar and um, the photo shoot went amazingly well and James was really stoked at how well that the photo shoot went. He had this idea that he was going to march up the steps of our parliament house here in, in Melbourne and demand a better deal of pigs and create media interest. This would be just fantastic. And then I was, oh, my gosh, now I actually really have to get this pig accustomed to being around people and to walk up the steps of our Parliament House, which was in the middle of the city, and there'd be people and traffic and all that around. So I went down to my local park with my little doggy one side and my little piggy the other side, and we were getting Edgar used to walking on the lead. And then people came from absolutely everywhere to marvel at Edgar and his unique brand of pigginess. And that got me thinking that the best ambassadors, the very best ambassadors for changing the way people feel about farmed animals were the animals themselves. You know, I could speak to people's mind, but Edgar oinked his way into their heart and reminded them that that's where they needed to be, not further south. And that's really where the foundations for the sanctuary began. And uh, Edgar is not a small pig. No, Edgar actually grew and grew and grew pretty much like the sanctuary. I had no idea both of them would grow as, as big as they did. You know, sadly, my beautiful boy passed away in 2010 just after his um, seventh birthday party, but his legacy lives on in, in the hearts and minds of all who came to know him, and he, he's actually buried out the front of the sanctuary here, so he, he still keeps watch over me. 
So you were saying that the sanctuary, uh, inspired by Edgar um, and his mission, um, has been growing. Can you talk about uh, what the size of the mission is now and um, everything that it does? Because it does a lot. <laughs> it um, Honestly, I had no idea that it would, it would actually grow as big as it was. So we started off um, at, at another property where I was living at the time when I had um, the horses and, and sort of a normal life <laughs> as I could ever have had. Um, and, and I was working um, at the time. And as the sanctuary started to grow on that 30 acres, I realised that we needed a little bit more land. So I, I took out a mortgage and, and bought um, the 30 acres next door. And then not long after that, I quit my full-time paying job because I realised this sanctuary was was going to start to take off. And, and then my partner at the time... Um, uh, was uh, our, our lives were growing apart, and I could actually see see this happening um, around me, and no one else around me really understood. I was at the top of my my game in the equestrian career, and and living this incredible life, doing all the things that were my childhood dream. But um, there was something, you know, tugging at me, and I realised that that was Edgar. This is it was time to get down off my high horse and and really start to champion the cause of of animals and. My partner posed me the question, it's me or the pig? And um, I chose the pig. And that's probably the easiest decision that I ever did. Um, I went on to hang up the boots of my successful equestrian career, quit my full-time paying job, said goodbye to ever having a normal life. Because I don't want to get to be 85 and think, you know, what if? You know, we go through life with all these fears that we have, but unless we ever try something, we'll never know what will happen. And I think that I really, really encourage people to, to just have a go. And, and if it goes pear-shaped, it goes pear-shaped. You, know, you can always pick up the pieces. We are in the lucky country in, in Australia. I think we really should start to make it the lucky country for our animals because, because it's not. So as the sanctuary grew, we actually started to grow beyond the, the 60 acres we had over there in little town was called Willowmaven. Our main town nearest was called Kilmore. And I mean, really, what was I thinking? Having an animal sanctuary in a town called Kilmore. So um, we moved um, over here to our beautiful place here in Lansfield. And our nearest big town is called Kyneton or Kynetown. So that was probably a bit of a... Um, um, message to, to come over here where we are. We have 153 acres, so it's more than twice the size of um, the sanctuary had. And, and the beautiful thing about this progression has it's, it's grown out. There's no roadmap for, for doing what we do, and it has really been a huge learning curve along the way. And I think, you know, life is really our greatest teacher and animals too have been my, my greatest teacher. So the property we had before, you know, I own the property. And for the sanctuary to have perpetuity, you know, the sanctuary really needs to own the own land you know I always want to have this expression you know, in case I get hit by a bus that I want the sanctuary to be able to go on and not be reliant on myself so Edgar's mission now owns the land here we have um, a board of management we have a wonderful board there we have wonderful staff that are you know learning skills and you know following in my footsteps and always saying to them you've know, got to learn to do this because if I get hit by a bus you know you, you can keep going on and looking after the animals and we can keep carrying on this this wonderful mission that we've started although my ultimate goal, goal is actually obsolescence for the day that we actually don't need sanctuaries such as Edgar's mission. Now you were saying that there's no roadmap for what you were doing. And I kind of wanted to step back a little bit and, and ask, you know, as you were leaving your partner, leaving your career and beginning something without a roadmap, what were the reactions of your family and your support network and your friends? Were, did they think that you were crazy? Yeah, but I think I thought that before that anyway. Um, I think I just confirmed it. <laughs> I've, I've always been a loner. Um, when I was very young, my, my parents did split up when um, when I was young and I never really un understood um, 
why. Um, I've always been a little bit on the naive side and I think being naive actually allows you to take greater risks because you possibly don't, don't actually be that that, that cautious. Uh, and so being being the loner that I was and being independent, I've always sort of, well, um, if it is to be, it is up to me. And that's one of, one of the um, ethos is that I live by in life you know you really have to forge your own path and you know get off your own backside and, and not expect people to do things for you a lot of that does actually come from my dad who he was he was really really tough um and I think he knew that I was from a young child was very soft-hearted and I think that hardness actually wanted to prepare me for the for the outside world that can sometimes be cruel and that reliance on myself um and having to to do it and you know you are your own counsel so that um kept me going and I know at the time, a lot of people did think I was crazy. And one, one of my um, friends said to me, look, you know, most businesses fold in the first two years of, of going, but, you know, I know your determination, Pam, so I'll give you four years. Um, and now we've just gone, um, clicked over to 18 years um, of, of kindness. And one of the things that blows me away, and I think it actually is a testament to that, that ethos of, you know, putting everything, my heart and soul into it, is um, people wanting to support that mission, people believing in what we do and donating to us, whether it's financially or, or with their times or just message of support. And I don't think people realise how much those messages of support actually mean to when you're actually going out there on a limb and saying, you know, go, girl. And um, that really does does give you um, courage to, to keep plugging away because it, it was very hard to start with is not knowing you know what to do and finding out what works best and, and and making mistakes and and having the courage to make mistakes and around our sanctuary we have so many um quotes from some of the finest human minds to inspire people to challenge you and just make you laugh and they're not necessarily animal animal quotes you know there's um a lovely quote about you know our greatest um challenge is, is not in falling it is in failing to rise and you know you might fall down, but but get up, you know, get up. That is where your courage is. And another one is, you know, courage is hanging on that one second longer. And and I love that one because sometimes I'll, I'll be feeling, gosh, you know, the world's against me. And I'll turn around and I'll see one of these quotes and I'll plug away and, and keep going on and then something kind will happen to me. And um, it's just been wonderful that the people who have supported us and, and encouraged us to go on. And, and now that I do know that if I do get hit by that bus, um, that the organisation will be able to go on and the animals will still be cared for. And more importantly, that we have inspired um, inspired so many people around the world. It was um, So last night we were doing one of our live feeds and it was just incredibly wonderful because Derek from Esther the Wonder Pig uh, popped in to say how much... Um, Edgar's mission had actually inspired them to to start the work that they did, and that's that's incredible to think um, that um, others can rise on your shoulders and and rise above you. I remember um, one of my teachers when I used to ride the horses, who was just an incredible um, horseman, and um, they said to me, "Look, Pam, don't ever aspire to be as good as me. You don't want to be as good as me. You want to go beyond that." Mother, gosh, no! If I could be as good as you, that would be wonderful. But it is that. Um, is actually encouraging people to ride on your shoulders and, and actually rise above that and to see the limits that you can go to. Um, although I don't ride horses anymore, um, I learned so much from those years about um, animal behaviour and, and myself and um, I use that knowledge now to, to help so many other animals. I think there's always a fond moment that we have looking back where you realise that you're on the right path and you're doing something great. Was there a moment at the beginning of uh, the story of Edgar's mission where you realized, yes, you know, we're, we're on this journey, we're doing this right. And this is, this is exactly what I wanted it to be. 
there's been there's been several um, incredible moments. Um, there was one time when I was in the stable with Edgar. I was rubbing his stomach, and I just thought, like, wow, how could I have ever eaten you? Like, I was overcome with this incredible sense of of remorse, but also this incredible sense of empowerment. Is that how can I take everyone by the hand and have them sitting here? feeling what I'm feeling now because I truly believe that we can't tell people what to do or what not to do I've got no authority to do it and I've got no guarantee that if I tell people to do it they will do it but if I can connect and if we can connect others to connect to the goodness of the human heart because I truly do believe that we humans are programmed to care about others around us that if if we encourage people to make those connections themselves they will live those ethics of being kind and good and not wanting to live in a non-violent world and that was just with Edgar and he's telling me this is actually encouraging people to make connections with animals and realizing that it's not the shape or form of these animals that, that, that dictates how they should be treated. Inside that animal is a living, feeling, breathing being that wants to experience the world and all of her magic as much as you and I. And that is one of the powers that we have of telling the stories of our social media um, influence that we have, of the tours coming here, of actually getting people to make those connections themselves because they will be lifelong. The other lovely story, if I can tell you, was the day that I realised my pig loved me. Um, I, I just thought it was just just a most wonderful pig. He was. Um, and we are actually going up to New South Wales to um, champion the cause of pigs in their parliament up there. And we stopped on the way at a little town called um, Murrum Bateman um, outside of Canberra and there was a little um, sanctuary there. And um, we'd taken Edgar off so he could go to the toilet and I was holding the lead very tenderly because I've never done this before, you know, taking a pig to Parliament. I was really nervous and he was my first pig and I was just like 101 pig handling. I was learning everything um, as I went along. And they said, look, just leave him alone. Come and have a look at our animals. I wanted to have a look at the animals. So I left him in their garden. They assured me that there was no way he could get out of the garden. It was very, very secure. So we could just mose it off around the garden as he did nonchalantly, you know, just nose in the air, just checking it all out. He was the coolest pig. He was the coolest speak and um, we went off I was looking at their animals and it started to get dark and I was oh gosh it's dark and it's been a couple of hours now and I thought gosh where's Edgar so I raced back to the garden as quick as my little legs would carry me and I couldn't see him and, I, and I'm looking around the garden and I couldn't see him I'm getting more frantic and more frantic I said Edgar Edgar and and I couldn't find him and everyone's getting a bit panicky they're starting to look for Edgar and it is no 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 and it was Edgar. Edgar had wandered off doing his own thing and he'd forgotten about the time and he realised that he was lost and this was like a scene from Gone with the Wind and, you know, the sun was setting in the distance and we're running across the horizon I'm running towards Edgar and Edgar's running towards me and we're silhouetted in the back there and we embraced and he loved me. There was no doubt in my mind that my pig loved me and I was his human and I'm getting a bit teary thinking about it now and it was just really wow that you know I was his special someone and that was really incredible these animals do form bonds with their human carers and pigs in particular but they're so incredibly intelligent you know we've all heard the stories about how intelligent pigs are but when you actually spend your life with them you realize how intelligent they are which compounds their suffering with the things that we do to them not that I think we should um, value people or animals because of their intelligence, because if we, if we put that criteria on, I think a hell of a lot of we humans are going to be in trouble because we're not a particularly smart species. But it's the capacity to feel. And, and there was no doubt in my mind that day that, that Edgar felt something. And, um, wow, 
I, I love reliving that experience. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to, to pop back there and have that experience again. It was, it was wonderful. Oh, of course. I mean, looking at you and just feeling the passion that you have for the work that you do is really wonderful. Um, and I'm sensing from you and from Edgar's mission that one of the greatest things that people can do is get in contact with animals, spend time with animals that they're maybe not so familiar with so that they can build that empathy and, and increase their circle of empathy so that they can understand that these are, like you said, living, breathing creatures with a life of their own. But I want to ask, you mentioned animal liberation, and I wonder if for our listeners, there were some resources that you think people can check out online or on the library that can really influence and really help them make that connection if they don't have access to something like Edgar's Mission? Look, there's, there's so many um, so many great books um, and animal liberation is, is a great one to start. Um, anything you can get hold of by Melanie Joy is an, uh, an incredible um, an animal advocate. Um, Mark Beckhoff is, is one of my favourite authors as well. He writes beautifully about animal sentience and Carl Safina wrote an incredible book um, about animals as well. Grab a hold of that one. He's done a wonderful TED talk. And just look at some of the um, the sanctuary websites and the little videos they have up there as well that you can actually meet some of those residents and it really is actually learning about about others and one of the things I often talk about is that trajectory of you know human thinking and, and human compassion and, and human evolution uh, you know the evolution of our humanity is our ability to embrace those we once considered different you know it was the color of one's skin um, the religion ones followed and even gender were, were dictators of our compassion you know we saw these as other but when we actually took the time to get to know the other to realize that those those differences were never a justification for anyone being treated differently and it was um chief justice michael kirby of the high court of australia said a few years ago that our next great social justice movement is the way that we treat our animals and and i really think he's on on the money there you know how we treat animals is a really determinant of our ethical progress that um in animals we have the ability to be kind and good or we have the ability to be selfish greedy and cruel and we have the choice. You know, we have so much power in, in the countries that we have and the privilege that we have that we don't even realise we have these things. And, and the animals have nothing. You know, we represent their hope that their worlds can change for the better because it's their world too. It's not just ours, it's their world too. So today, I'm, I want to read a few things from your website. Today, Edgar's mission is set on 153 peaceable acres near Lansfield, Victoria about 60 kilometers north of Melbourne. You rescue and provide sanctuary to animals in need, currently providing lifelong love and care to over 450 rescued animals through education, outreach, advocacy, community enrichment, and farm tours, you encourage people to expand their circle of compassion to include all animals. Now, what I wanna know, I know that ultimately you hope that uh, places like Edgar's mission won't even have to exist. But I want to know what's the next step that you want to take with Edgar's mission for maybe the these next coming years after things open up? What's a, a dream that you have for Edgar's mission? It really is to touch as many hearts and minds as possible, to really, you know, encouraging 
people to think about these animals who are farmed for food and fibre. As I said, we are the greatest hope these animals' lives can change for the better. And it's really encouraging people to be better versions of themselves every day. And that includes myself. You know, we we can all think, okay, where we're at is good, but we can also look at we can improve um, ourselves and be more compassionate. We have different campaigns throughout the year that encourage people to think about that. We're just uh, encouraging people to think about mothers um, beyond the species, that, that those mothers deeply love their babies. You know, coming up um, in October, we've created Be Kind to Animals Week, which is a lovely idea. Be Kind to Animals Week, yeah, but support that. But what does that actually mean? And really encouraging people to think about their own sets of values and how they live those sets of values. One of the stories that I tell when I talk to students is that um, when I was young and um, I used to barrack for Collingwood. That was a football team here in Melbourne. And I'd go around the house, calm the pies, calm the pies, because that was the Collingwood football team. And then when I really thought about it, you know, Collingwood wasn't that cool a football team. And I didn't really like Collingwood. The other reason I barracked for Collingwood was because my dad barracked for Collingwood. And his dad barracked for Collingwood. It was an open family tradition to barrack for Collingwood. And my foray of football is so symbolic of, of, of the things that we do, the values and ideas that we've inherited from other people and never really thought that much about. And when we do sit down and think about them in the cold light of day and our ethical beliefs, there's this inconsistency. And it's really encouraging people to think about our values and to have the courage to live them. That's really, truly incredible. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's morning for you. It is evening for us. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about uh, Edgar and Edgar's mission. And um, you've made me you've made me want to think and look at these resources a little more. And I hope that our listeners do too. So uh, the last thing I want to ask is what's the best way for our listeners to support Edgar's mission? Put us out of business. What is that? Make okay. make a day that we are we aren't needed. <laughs> okay. The longer answer that you're looking for, there obviously is financial support. It is incredibly wonderful, but not everyone is in a position to do that. And I am the worst person about asking asking for funds. And um, if you if you can't fundraise, that's that's absolutely fine. You know, sh- liking and sharing our posts is a really simple way of spreading that message of kindness. You know, each and every one of us can be an influencer amongst our family and friends and co-workers. So you know, share our posts, like our. Posts, encourage people to think about farmed animals in, in, in a positive light is a really wonderful one live the ethics every day you know you sit down to eat every day you can make um, a vote for a, a kinder world and that's really really important well i don't think there's going to be any problem with people sharing and liking your posts my producer caitlin and i were talking before we did this interview and I have to say there's so much joy in all your posts. They're uh, they're wonderful to share. And in a world where so much is going wrong, it's wonderful to see a place where things are going right. So keep doing exactly what you're doing, Pam Ahern. Of course, you already know, and I don't think you could be stopped anyway. But just to <laughs> let you know, we support you so much. Oh, bless. Look, thank you so much. It's been an absolutely delight. We're going to send some of our cold weather over to you and you some of some of your warm weather over to us and, and we'll have that happy medium. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Thank you so much, Pam. All right, Caitlin, that was our interview with Pam Ahern. This was a really beautiful story and it made me think, I hope that people do reach out um, and look at some of those resources that she talked about because she's so passionate. It really made me want to learn more. And please go look at that Instagram because they have the cutest little farm animal pictures with just bouncing sheep. 
Yeah, if it doesn't so cute. if it doesn't make you joyful, then <laughs> you are truly missing something in your heart. So anyway, that was our interview for today. But now it's time to take a little break. Okay, we're back. Now, first of all, I want to say this again. If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much. We're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. Now, Caitlin, I'm honestly asking you, do you have a favorite review for this week? I do. This one is from Lauren Walker, and she says, As a longtime Cracker fan, this podcast is everything I needed and more. Cracker and Caitlin are amazing hosts and are truly invested in hearing what every single guest has to say. Each guest has been unique, and she's a woman brings their important stories and inspirations to light. It is so perfect with the episodes released on Mondays so I can start my week off being inspired by the incredible things women all over the world are doing. This podcast is fun, funny, entertaining, and inspirational. I know this podcast has inspired me to keep persevering in my own professional life, and I'm sure this podcast has inspired so many others. You're such a good reader. It always takes me like 30 times to read something, but you nail it on the first try. It's very good. Really? I feel like uh, I feel like I stumble over a little bit, but you know, you maybe it's in job. my own head. And you know what? Lauren Walker thinks you do a good job too. So That's true. This was a really nice one. Yeah. This is like really I feel sweet. like we feel inspired when we're recording them and that, you know, so I'm glad that I'm glad you too, Lauren Walker, feel super inspired. And everybody out there who's listening, your review could be part of our show too. So just share your thoughts with us, even if you just want to drop by with a suggestion and say, I know someone that should be on the show. We are here for it. But enough about that. Caitlin, it's time <laughs> for our favorite part of the show. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's time for the credits. This podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, and it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, She's a woman! And I'll be with you. Oh my goodness, Caitlin, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have any bacon in the morning anymore. Oh, I know, I know. It's a smart cake that I'm eating. Oh my God. We're going to have to change a few things around here. We're going to have to tidy up this house. Speaking of, we're about to go to sleep right after this. Oh, we're going to go to sleep immediately. Yeah. What time is it? It's 847. That's that's way past our bedtime. Way past. Old ladies like us. (laughs) 